Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Hello there and welcome to the latest episode of the Mental Health Matters podcast here in Phoenix FM. It's been a long time since the last episode. I hope you're okay and been keeping strong. Certainly this uh, warm sunny weather over the amazing summer we've been having has certainly been helping. I've been noticing how I've been feeling. Mostly good that I've been uh, busy, hence uh, part of the delay in this episode, but also aware of how people are and observing trends as I come across and consider them. I've had people close to me who have been suffering from issues as traumatic and heartbreaking as a miscarriage, the breakup of a previously successful relationship, to the grind of a relentless work schedule and pressure with very little break. All of which, of course, will naturally play havoc to one's mental well-being. These thoughts brought me to reflect on other cause and effect type thinking, and I've uh, observed that it is actually no surprise that mental health has become more of an issue. It is now in the mainstream discourse, and quite rightly regarded as the cause of many issues. Or should I say outcome, because these reflections I've been considering during this break in the podcast have come in the form of questions, most of which I don't have the answer to. They've been raised in previous conversations in the podcast, and I hope to cover them in forthcoming episodes with people who have more knowledge and experience of them than I do. Questions such as, why have wages hardly risen in recent years compared to the cost of everything else around, including bills and rents? Is it any wonder people don't feel good if they're being squeezed to survive? Are public or state schools the best system for putting our children through? Is the catastrophic increase in numbers of children self-harming or even committing suicide an indication that it's not? What is the effect of social media on our self-esteem? What is the effect of this technology in general with our connection with each other and the world and nature around us? Have there been any changes in diet or the quality of the food we're eating? How are people managing to live in cities? Is there a reduction in quality of life? These have been some of the things on my mind and will feature in some of the conversations in upcoming episodes, along with many of the wonderful therapists and practitioners I've had the pleasure of meeting, and many more to come. Which uh, brings me to this episode. Later on, I'll have the pleasure of sharing a conversation that uh, Bob Simpson recorded with Tracy Richardson, who's been tackling mental health and well-being in schools. I'll also share a conversation I recorded for my musical meandering show here in Phoenix FM with Mario Lally from Yawning Man. I initially wanted to speak to him about his music but uh, and his you know, huge musical history, but what we ended up speaking about was how we've been feeling and and how we end up doing things when we do in our lives. But first, shortly, we'll be hearing from Lorna Slade, a wonderful counselor, psychotherapist, and clinical hypnotherapist, working locally here in Essex and doing amazing work with narcissistic abuse. But to get uh, the podcast underway, I wanted to share the first of uh, a couple of the songs I wanted to uh, play on this episode. First of all, there's this wonderful post-rock artist, called Aurora Borealis. Here is Variations Under Rainlight.
little bit melancholic sounding, but uh, still beautiful at the same time, and a little bit of hope in there as well, which is the kind of journey which goes through the album. That's Aurora Borealis, and the album is called Eventually We Will All Fall and Live Again, which kind of describes the uh, process or the sequence of songs on that album. Now on the Mental Health Matters podcast is time for the news I've come across, uh, which I wanted to share in this episode. First of all, which uh, kind of coincides with one of the questions I proposed at the start, is that two in five GPs have a mental health problem. This is on the mind.org.uk website. A survey of more than 1,000 GPs has found that two in five 40% said they were experiencing a mental health problem, such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, or post-traumatic stress disorder. The survey, carried out by MIND, found that despite the high prevalence of mental health problems among GPs, many didn't feel able to turn to colleagues for support. Doctors said that they were much more likely to look for support with their mental health from friends and family, 84%, or their own doctor, 77%, rather than their colleagues, 45%, or their practice manager, 30%, or professional bodies such as the General Medical Council, only 1%. The government and NHS England are taking steps to address the high rates of poor mental health among GPs. For example, by setting up a confidential NHS support service for GPs, but there are still huge problems when it comes to attracting and retaining primary care staff. MIND is calling on the government and NHS to go further to tackle the work-related causes of stress and poor mental health, such as excessive workload and long hours. The mental health charity is calling on clinical commissioning groups and GP practices to ensure the whole primary care workforce, including practice managers, reception staff, and practice nurses, receives appropriate support when needed and has workplace policies and procedures in place to better promote staff well-being. And another story which caught my eye, which kind of uh, ran counter to some of the more prevalent pieces of information we're told about what is good for us. Apparently, exercising too much could worsen mental health. This is in The Independent. It's a widely held belief that exercise improves mental health, and a new study of 1.2 million Americans has added significant weight to the theory. However, the researchers also found that exercising too much actually has a detrimental effect on one's mental wellness. The study, conducted by Yale University and the University of Oxford, published in the Lancet Psychiatry Journal, concluded that people who exercise report having 1.5 fewer days of poor mental health a month compared to people who do not exercise at all. While all types of activity appear to improve mental health, the most effective ones were found to be team sports, cycling, aerobics, and going to the gym, according to the largest observational study of its kind. The researchers drew their conclusions by analyzing data from 1.2 million adults across all 50 U.S. states who completed the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System Survey in 2011, 13, and 15. The data took into account demographics as well as information about participants' physical health, mental health, and health behaviors. But aside from depression, mental health disorders were not included. 
participants who were asked to estimate how many days in the past 30 days they would rate their mental health as not good, based on stress, depression, and emotional problems. They were also asked how often they exercised in the past 30 days outside of the regular job, as well as how many times a week or month they did this exercise and for how long. The researchers took into account age, race, gender, marital status, income, education level, employment status, BMI, self-reported physical health, and previous diagnosis of depression. Researchers concluded that 45 minutes of exercise three to five times a week was the optimum amount of time for the greatest benefits to mental health. However, compared to people who reported doing no exercise, people who exercised reported 1.5 fewer days of poor mental health each month. But how often and how much you exercise plays a role too. Exercising more or less than 30 to 60 minutes between three and five times a week decreases the benefits of exercising on your mental health. Working out for more than 90 minutes a day was still linked to a reduced number of mental health days than not exercising at all, but hitting the gym for more than three hours a day was associated with worse mental health than not exercising at all. The author suggests that people doing extreme amounts of exercise might have obsessive characteristics which could place on them a greater risk of poor mental health. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. And now is a great time for the first conversation I'd like to share on this episode of the Mental Health Matters podcast here in Phoenix FM. Lorna Slade has been a guest on the previous incarnation of the Mental Health Matters podcast with Bob Simpson. Uh, she was speaking about her uh, experiences as a counselor, a psychotherapist, and a clinical hypnotherapist. She works locally here in Essex. But since that conversation, she's been specializing a bit more in narcissistic abuse. She's become a bit of a specialist in it. And it's something that I wasn't too familiar with until uh, a little while back I was researching uh, PTSD and uh, finding out that some of the causes of that can actually come from narcissistic abuse. So it was wonderful to speak to Lorna about her experiences since uh, specializing a bit more, how uh, successful she's become, and learn a bit about the background of narcissistic abuse to find out more about how to identify it and things you can do to protect yourself. She has a website called Innerworks Therapy, and I'll be sharing the contact information on the episode page on the Phoenix FM website on Mental Health Matters. So uh, let's listen to the conversation now, recorded here at the Brentwood Centre, Phoenix FM studios. I'm back at the Brentwood Centre for Phoenix FM and uh, continuing the Mental Health Matters podcast. And I have the pleasure of being joined now by Lorna Slade, a wonderful therapist who uh, over the recent years has been specializing in uh, narcissistic abuse syndrome. Is that the name of it? It's, yeah, narcissistic abuse, really. Okay, yeah, because yeah, you've been on the previous incarnation of the podcast with Bob Simpson. That's right, yes. And uh, when you were kind of starting your journey down this more specialized approach to your work, and so I just wanted to find out a bit more about you and about narcissistic abuse and uh, the, you know, what you've been seeing and, uh, yeah, learning more about it. So, uh, yeah, if you want to just do a quick introduction of yourself and your work. Yeah, I work with um, mostly adult children of narcissistic parents, especially covert narcissists. And, and I've been specialising in that for the last five years. And I've been noticing uh, more and more some incredible similarities. So I thought it would be interesting to talk about that today. Yes, of course. So um, you've uh, now been specialising in narcissistic abuse. Let's perhaps outline what it is. 
So NPD, uh, I'll call it, narcissism is a spectrum disorder. So at the milder end, a person can have a few narcissistic traits. But at the other end, you have full-blown narcissistic personality disorder, or NPD, which, according to the, the DSMV, which is the American Bible of Mental Health Disorders, you need five of um, nine criteria to be diagnosed with NPD, which includes a lack of empathy, being preoccupied with fantasies about success, power and beauty, taking advantage of others and being envious of others. And now NPD is part of the cluster B group of personality disorders in the DSM that are, that are characterised by the person tending to be manipulative and self-focused. If they do something that upsets you, they're likely to turn around and say that your reaction has hurt them. Yeah, I think I've uh, seen examples of that. And uh, that's definitely a character trait that is becoming common when we're just talking just now. I said uh, I've seen it in some workplaces where people can be like that and in some relationships as well. And uh, so how have you been noticing it? What's the work you specifically work on? You say it's with uh, parents and children? Yeah, I've been working especially. There are two types of narcissists. I mean, the, the jury is out in, in terms of how they're formed, and I often get asked that. Yeah. But I think one of the theories that appeals to me that I see in uh, the client stories is that as a child, the narcissist, subject to a parent's anger or shaming behaviour, goes into a form of shock. And they rationalise that by deciding they're a bad person who deserved it. And in the process, they split themselves into two parts, a good child and a bad child. And they disown the feelings of the bad child by repressing them in their subconscious and present only the good child to survive their environment. The good child is the mask the narcissist presents to the world, and this false self has an excessive need for attention and admiration in adulthood. This is thought to be due to a lack of what's called mirroring or recognition and pride in the child's achievements. So that attention, or supply as it's termed, is something the narcissist needs, like oxygen, to bolster their self-identity and self-esteem. And so as adults, the pathology of narcissists is that they typically operate with a split consciousness as a result of that early experience. And with their own children especially, they'll do something called triangulate. So they tend to have a golden child who's in receipt of all their good child, grandiose feelings and aspirations, and a scapegoat child who's the recipient, recipient of all their bad child projections that they deny. So many of my client stories are about the golden child scapegoat yeah. dynamic, which carries on into adulthood and is particularly upsetting and dysfunctional for the family. That, that can actually have bad results for both children, actually. The golden child can, uh, can distort their perception of reality. And then, as of course, the, you know, the child that receives all the uh, negative attention, that's certainly going to cause huge problems. That's right. That's right. I mean, there are two types of narcissists. There's a grandiose type and, and a covert type. Now, the covert type will be just as dangerous and exhibit those traits, but in a more subtle way. So will be less hard to spot, certainly by, by outsiders. But certainly the scapegoat of a covert will be in receipt of that stuff and really feel it. Okay. And the problem is, because the covert is good at doing their stuff mostly behind closed doors, the child isn't believed. Ah, uh, so yes. A big job yeah. is to validate their experience, I find. Okay, so how do you um, get in touch with these children that have experienced this? Well, they contact me, yeah. uh, and oddly, well, not oddly, perhaps, they are often in their early 50s, which is a time when a real awakening seems to happen that 
hang on, this is really not right yeah. and it needs to stop. And It's they, a shame it couldn't happen earlier that people have these awareness. And sometimes it does. Yeah. But sometimes when clients are younger, it's a harder journey to accept what's really going on and be ready for maybe no contact with that parent. Oh, I see. So, Because uh, I would have thought the opposite, that if you were able to find children, perhaps who are still teenagers, that have been experienced this situation, that... Uh, Addressing it then would, you know, obviously you get a quick, could get quicker results to solve the problem. But I guess if they're not, if they don't recognise it at that point, and that depends on their experience and their personality. It might be I've had clients who at nineteen are very clear they want no contact. I've had clients yeah. in their twenties. So that's so basically no contact is a big part of uh, it's, it's so, solving this. Yeah, it is, and I never uh, advise it uh, because I'm not allowed to as a therapist. But I would advocate it as the only way to heal properly heal. That's interesting because I've come across this recently more in terms of relationship issues just from you know heartbreak and things like that. I came across a coach recently who does advocate no contact but not just to um, give them the sign that uh, you know to try and get the them back or anything by by saying that uh, you know I'm intentionally doing this but it's to focus on yourself and self Absolutely. healing and stuff like that. Give yourself a time period of not having any contact with them so you heal yourself but then actually just get on with your life. In this case, it sounds like it's a very similar technique because, you know, by not seeing them or hearing from them or then allowing them to communicate with you because then that's the main ways that they can affect you is by, you know, manipulating your mind and, you know, playing tricks and things like that. Absolutely, because, you know, one of their traits is gaslighting where they will absolutely deny or distort what what was said or what went on uh, and you will be part of a smear campaign so they'll tell other people, you know, those lies... And the problem is because they're part of that cluster B group, yeah. in their perception, they genuinely believe that's what went on. Yeah. They have that ability to tell I, them. I had a housemate like that who uh, was gaslighting. And uh, yeah, it's crazy when you see it happening and uh, yeah. the two sides. You know, you can imagine growing up with that as a child. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing clients mostly with CPTSD because that right. long-term chronic trauma affects them mentally and physically. So the work is, you know, to heal that inner critic, to manage yes. those emotional flashbacks. But what has shocked me, I think, is the, the way that this, the damage it does is so profound. I've had clients who've been hospitalized by a, a parent's cruel words and actions. Well, um, just in terms of the really extreme... The shock yeah, of that, yeah. the trauma. And already their bodies are primed to be, you know, uh, they've had enough trauma, the body. So any more is, is enough to send them over the edge. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in childhood, that parent's lack of interest and empathy has often endangered their safety. So they don't, they already don't feel that safe in the world. Of course. As adults. Yeah. Others have lost contact with their own children after they were poisoned against them by the narcissistic grandparents, because that's another thing that they'll do. They'll go straight for the children of the scapegoat and say, this is my story, your mum's, you know, a bad person. Oh, no. Um, and if the child believes that, you can imagine the damage that oh, does. That's... In all cases, the golden child dynamic is still playing out with the bullying and abusive brother or sister still vying for prime position with the parents. But of course, the well is really empty. There is no love to give because they can't. And accepting that is another challenge. Yes. That your parent can't love you. You can imagine how hard that can be for yes, some Yes, of course. And one of the causes you mentioned there when you said that uh, uh, you have these two sides to you, mm. that's a big problem. I think it's very common now for people to have the negative voice in their minds. You know, there's lots of people talking about healing things of this positive self-talk and things like that. 
that's an epidemic on its own, this negative self-talk we have in us. So there's some cause of you know us being brought up that causes this voice you know, in critic, our head. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's absolutely punitive. It's the parental critic mostly. Yeah. And the job at hand is to, to thought stop those thoughts, to yeah. really realise that you are in charge of your own mind and yes. your own thoughts. That's mm. a powerful uh, realisation, but at the same time difficult to... Very difficult, to, and I mean, it can take it, years. It, yeah, it's a, a technique that, you know, like training a muscle, you can get there, but it's, yeah, you have to be very, very Absolutely. disciplined and on the ball with that. Absolutely. And it brought to mind, when you mentioned PTSD, PTSD side of it, you know, I came across a Richard Grannon. I, oh, yeah. I wasn't specifically because of the narcissistic abuse, it was more because of the PTSD actually, because of the inner critic. I was maybe a, have had a time when it was just driving me mad. And uh, so, yeah, he had some good advice on that front, and that's when he kind of came up with that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's managing those emotional flashbacks because yeah. you can often suddenly wake up, feel absolutely terrible, and not know why. Yeah. And it is about self-care and nurturing yourself and saying, okay, I'm in flashback. This goes back years. Yeah. It's still in me, but I'm managing it now. Yeah, yeah, and this has big effects on just general relationships because not necessarily from the narcissistic side, but if people are trying to heal or avoid this negative self-talk by being with someone who they can get some kind of positive affirmation from them, they... Hopefully that this external person can, you know, love them and... uh, Yeah, well, the worst thing you can do uh, when you understand that the love and compassion and everything that you need is within you. Yeah. And you don't need it from anyone else. Yeah. Then you've healed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And you've let go of that desire for love from anyone, let alone the parent. Yeah. And you love yourself. Yeah. Yeah, that's profound. And that's where the inner child work that I use is that transformative work for that fantastic that's uh, you know I, I did a little bit of that I came across John Bradshaw yeah and uh, yeah, he did some great works on some TV series as well and that was really useful on that front and this is a void disorder it's about as much that the, what the parent didn't do as what they did yeah. because you can get ignoring and engulfing narcissists right so if anyone can be described as lucky it might be that you have an ignoring parent because an engulfing parent for example will infantilize you into adulthood right and yes. say right stay at home here's the money here's the food here's the dinner yeah don't leave yeah. because they have abandonment schema narcissists yeah. and they want to control you so the child suddenly thinks, what the hell's going on? Or may not, and then yeah. wonder why they're angry and confused and, you know, brittle and yeah. entitled. Yeah, I've <clears> seen that damage, as well. Yeah. That's very common in society at the moment. Uh, there's a very big comfort level people have and are afraid to leave their comfort zone. And a lot of that is, is you know, external factors because of the financial situation and things like that. But, uh, yeah, you see people in they're living at home in their 20s and 30s and yes, yeah, a bit of a problem at times. Yeah, and you can imagine having a narcissistic parent is the reason for that. Right. Separate to finances or, you know, other yeah, of more practical reasons. Yeah. And depending on the client's original response to trauma, which can be flight, flight, freeze or fawn, yeah. we would look at their how they behave in this current time. Uh, they might be codependent, they might be narcissistic themselves, they might be perfectionist, they might have OCD. You know, many of these are reactions to that childhood early environment. So you've listed some ways to identify the narcissistic tendencies. Are there I mean, any more? Yeah, there are. There are. So I've noticed we talked about the lack of empathy. That's core. The grandchildren being got at. 
the golden child um, sibling. Often the narcissistic parent sabotages with malicious acts uh, important days for the scapegoat, weddings, graduations. They'll make sure something goes on that really throws them off. No, no. Because the narcissist is out for the supply. Yeah. It's a very simple formula. They'll do stuff if they can get a rise out of you. So the, the idea is you refuse to become a source of supply. Yeah. You stay grounded and you just observe. Yeah. Um, what they're up to and the more you know about MPD the more you can do that so yep they sabotage they will run down the scapegoat's new partner they'll run down the scapegoat to the new partner so they sabotage relationships That's very common, so isn't be it? careful not to bring a girlfriend or boyfriend home because yeah. they use money as a tool to control both the golden child and scapegoat and another almost constant theme I'm noticing is that the scapegoat is disinherited with everything going to the golden child. At the very least, they're tormented around legal matters to do with the parent's death or impending death. And what more powerful way for an arc parent to show their hatred of the scapegoat than disinheritance? So it's really common. Indirect communication, many of my clients have felt the need to write a letter to their parents. And I say, please don't. It won't work. Yeah. No amount of bargaining yeah. will work. The work is on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, since getting involved with this, and you've just been immersed in it, and now it's pretty much your speciality. Totally. How was, yeah. you, how was your journey with that? It was just noticing that you were meeting more and more people that were had this problem? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I have clients all over the UK, mostly via Skype. Right. And they come to me knowing about narcissism. So okay. So they're pretty, you know, that's a good basis Okay, so you were before you just a general more just sort of therapist or a psychotherapist, yes, yeah. specialising, and I can still do that. Yeah, you know. but you just find that so many people now are coming. Yeah, to you. yeah. Is I, it is it because uh, it's a becoming a bigger issue, or is it just because we're more aware? Of I think you? there's more awareness yeah. about NPD and narcissism in general. Yeah, mostly thanks to what's coming out of America. Yeah, there aren't that many UK specialists in narcissistic abuse in terms of therapy. So I have people come to me to say, "Thank God I found you." Yeah, I've Googled you. I've Googled narcissistic abuse. Really, not nothing in my area. Okay, so it's quite good. Okay, know? so. On one level, that could be seen as a good thing that, like with any kind of illness or something that has to come out, it has to come to the surface first to be recognized yeah. and then leave. So, yeah. you know, the yeah. more awareness that is spread about it, then that yeah. could be a good and, and as for clients, it takes a high level of motivation and courage yeah. and, you know, not letting guilt get in the way of the healing work. Yeah, guilt or regrets. Yeah, that, that I feel bad that I'm saying this about my parents. Oh, right, you, yes. You can't afford that. Yes. You've really got to get down and start doing the work. Absolutely. And and the range of, we spoke about the range of um, impacts that I'm noticing, yeah. know, substance abuse, right. addictive behaviours, real isolation and withdrawal from life, um, self-doubt, loss of ability to listen to your own instincts, after years of being gaslighted and having emotions and beliefs invalidated, anxiety is a big one. Yeah which tends to come out in early 20s, late teens, especially as panic attacks, trust issues, negative core beliefs, adrenal fatigue, chronic fatigue syndrome. You know, there are lots of physical impacts as well. You can get addicted to the narcissist physiologically, so there's an obsession with them that can last for years, particularly after relationship breakups, dissociation, depression. And then that leads, often they notice they're bullied at work, they attract narcissistic friends, right. they want to know about how to set boundaries in place for narcissists. So the impacts are wide-ranging. Yeah, there's a, definitely like a resonance. We often attract people yeah. in our lives that are resonating at a certain frequency or you know, into the same things. 
But so yeah, and then that's a good way of noticing changes as well because you notice things. You know, you, you're out of sync with people after a certain point, and then you absolutely to, you know, more people into your life. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the and the thing is, the scapegoat is often the sensitive child to start with. Yeah, and so they already maybe feel that pathological inner loneliness. I don't fit in without realizing that actually they're really special people. Yeah, so it's turning that around, that self concept, and saying actually, you've been picked on because you're pretty special. Yeah, can you see that? Yeah, you know, and it's looking at the evidence. Okay, as well. so that's a good way of helping them. Is there other strategies that? Yeah, you so we do employ? the inner child work. I think is the most transformative. Yeah. So validating the story. We look at how they are these days. And I'll be very challenging and honest with them and say, well, maybe your behavior is a bit narcissistic. It's not that I'm trying. They're not narcissists. Yeah. But we can have fleas yeah. from that upbringing. And often clients, especially women who've lived with a narcissistic mother, are in receipt of her envy. Right. This is a big trait. So them coming to realize they can learn self-care. They can get that beauty treatment. There won't be consequences from the narc mother. Yeah. It's, it's bigger than you'd think. The critical inner voice, as you say, takes years recognizing that. Mm. Um, we do some, you know, CBT, uh, managing emotional flashbacks, self-compassion, that they see that they are fallible, complex human beings who have value simply because they exist. Yeah. Because they can be very hard on themselves. Yeah, because the sure. idea is they're carrying this belief, I'm not good enough. Yeah, and uh, that's a very common one and uh, one that needs to be healed and you say so you notice that a lot of people are in their 50s and going through that time Absolutely. of re, re, yeah. self-realization yeah you know. but as attached to the parent as yeah. a child wow okay yeah and that's that's you know part of the problem yeah. and then there's grieving the yeah. initial work involves a huge amount of grieving yeah for the losses of childhood yeah and coming to terms with the fact the parent has a disorder yeah and can't love them yeah and that's there's a lot of grieving work a lot of crying yeah. to be done i also advocate a good academic knowledge of npd so you can get that observer thing going on you can be with them and say ah that's the mpd that's yeah. not personal to me okay and that that helps yeah um, a, a bit and then learning boundaries there are many ways to instill boundaries there's always a cost of dealing with a narcissist yeah you can either flatter them and be very pleasant or you can name their behaviors either way there'll be some sort of consequence a consequence um, like in terms of them Learning about what they're doing or they're... Yeah, they're, they don't like to be told. Yeah. They don't like to be criticised. Their defences that cause the disorder will not like that. Yeah. And if you're not used to being, you know, overly charming yourself, shall we say, yeah. they can sort of see through that as well and they don't like you for that. So oh. it's a no-win. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so you decide what costs. You feel it out often in the moment. Yeah. But it's never going to feel comfortable and you can't really relax around them. So Yeah. But, but there will be shocks in store. That's one thing for sure. Yeah. Something will be said or done that is really hurtful. And the decision is, can I keep taking this? Yeah. Know? Yeah, indeed. And is there any way that they can be changed? I guess not, unless they don't, they don't want to. Well, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. Right, so. yeah. And there are some who go to therapy. You yeah. Know, and they can be shown ways to put themselves in the other person's position. Yeah. I often find if I say to a narcissist, that person that you really favour, can you imagine how they would feel if that happened? Yeah. Something that happened to you? Then they're, ah, you know, they kind of get it. So yeah. There are kind of some ways. Yeah. They often leave therapy. They're not known for staying in therapy yeah. and doing the hard work. The people that I know that yeah, have these uh, characteristics, they don't want to sit with themselves and their feelings because uh, no. that would mean having to deal with things. They and so they, they do, they, they. It's all 
avoidance and uh, you know distraction. It's your o- fault. This is where the OCD comes in as well. Just a constant activity to uh, keep doing things to not have to sit and just feel what's going on. Yeah, I mean, OCD is related to a feeling of a lack of safety in yeah. childhood. But uh, the narcissist will say, it's your fault. Right. You know, that's the one thing you can be sure of. It's all quite simple, really. Yeah. And they have the power you give them. But many people build it up until they have some sort of supernatural power. And there is this theory that they have this kind of psychic link into you, that they can drain you from a distance or sense you. So I yeah. work with some clients to do what's called psychic cord cutting, yeah. which seems to work. Yeah. So, I've uh, come across that before in this chap who uh, talks about, in relationships anyway, going for no contact, that, and I think I've experienced this myself, when you're thinking about somebody, they kind of know it, like, you know, especially if you're attracted to someone and you're thinking about them a lot, somehow they know it and that can kind of kill the attraction and things like that. And, but when you do no contact, they certain, somehow know about it. Yeah. And so that's what sometimes yeah. you get people phoning you if you, if, yes. if you feel like you're, you know, oh, you're not in, in contact or things like that. So yeah. that's an interesting kind of yeah. connection you do have these things I think. yeah yeah totally and that seems to work for them yeah but there are people with narcissistic traits are not uncommon yeah there was a recent piece in on bbc uh, a mental health advocate saying he thinks 13 percent of the uk population has a personality disorder so if you put narcissism yeah. at about five percent which yeah. aligns with the six percent in the u.s yeah but I think it's slightly more common than that person. I think it is as well. Uh, I think the consequences and the victims of personality disorders are more than that. Absolutely. The, uh, the yeah. uh, symptoms, the yeah, how people feel about themselves, the self-critics sort of things is probably the majority of people, I think, yeah, at the I moment. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, the wider impact. Yeah. But there are ways to uh, kind of tell if you're with a narcissist, very simply... Don't ignore the red flags of your gut feeling in your yeah. body. How does your body feel? Are they overtly charming beyond the norm? Yeah. And is that making you feel great? Do you feel the urge to tell them everything about yourself? Right. Do you feel incredibly excited in their presence? All of these are warning signs. Yeah, that's interesting. Don't share too much. Yeah. Etc. Yeah, I've you know, made that mistake <laughs> in the past, but... And when you treat people, is you know, have you seen good results? Have there been I really have actually. Yeah. I've I've seen you know, I get I'm really pleased to report that there is a turnaround in most clients. Does and it take very wonderful amounts to see. of times? I think we can see six or seven weeks. Oh wow. Yeah, I don't do very long term work. I think I expect high motivation up front. Yeah. I do set homework, quote unquote. Yeah. But it seems to be working. Okay, that's I'm good to hear. Some good Good comments, yeah. Okay, so uh, is there anything else you wanted to share? Um, obviously, I'll uh, have your contact details on the show page of the Mental Health Matters podcast episode, so people can get in touch and uh, if they want to you know, get in you. touch to yeah. find out more and find out how you can help them. Is there anything more about the details um, or things to look out for? I, just, for? I get quite often asked, why do I attract narcissists? It might be, for example, you were brought up by a narcissistic parent, so you're familiar with that cold energy. Yeah. And it's still an attempt by your subconscious to get love from that parent. Right, yeah. You might have a limited self-concept uh, or low self-worth. Uh, being told you're wonderful is very seductive. It is, yeah. But then everything becomes about pleasing the narc and codependently focusing on their needs. Then you get devalued and discarded. Or many coverts can have very long-term marriages and they have those enablers who are literally unable to see what's really going on. Yeah. Because they're so good at being the victim. That yeah. They incite very much, you know, pr- protectiveness from those around them. Yeah, I, I know um, what you mean. 
and so yeah don't be drawn in uh, you might be drawn in in fact sorry by their victim tales because you're very sensitive and sympathetic so yeah. be aware not to you know believe stuff necessarily yeah make your own mind up yeah know? so when you for, we meet people it's good to be open and uh, if they're nice it's all good but uh, just you know i guess it comes from the self work we can do on ourselves the self-love get stronger within ourselves yeah. and then we can listen to our intuition a lot easier. It is about developing that self-concept yeah. that didn't get developed in childhood. Yeah. Who am I? What yeah. do I feel? This is my emotional and physical needs and yeah. I'm going to tell you what they are. Yeah. This is really about that kind of transformation. Yeah. Are there any like little tricks, like uh, quick things that you can suggest, like you know, positive self-talk's a big one and that kind of good, kind of good steps that people can take? Not really. Yeah, I'm not. Just, uh, just I'm not really a great one for affirmations necessarily. Yeah. I think you know, and it's very personal to each person. Sure, sure. But yeah, just just remember when you're with them, if you know the signs, just be aware that it's not personal, really. Yeah. Don't let that hurt. Imagine a bubble around yourself. Yeah. And you are protected. If you want to do that very quickly, and outside of that bubble is an impenetrable material. Yeah. And you're with them, but you're not with them. Yeah. You know, that's a very quick piece of advice. Yeah, that helps. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Lorna. Thanks for your time, and uh, you. good to uh, meet you finally. And uh, also, that's great that you're able to uh, embrace this work and. After being on the previous uh, version of uh, Mental Health Matters, it's uh, uh, great that you're back. It's lovely to be back. Thank you. Fantastic. We'll see you again. Thank you. Take care. Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. It was wonderful to uh, share that conversation, and hopefully, you found it useful and uh, makes you a bit more aware to look out for it. The next conversation I wanted to share kind of came up accidentally and only came to mind to share on this podcast as it was happening. I was with my friend's band, Witchhound. They were playing in Manchester. I drove them up there, and they were supporting one of their heroes, Yawning Man, uh, a band that was one of the foundations of the particular scene they were into from the 80s, almost like that. It's kind of described as a desert rock, stoner rock scene, very psychedelic, a little bit experimental, at least Yawning Man were at the time. And they were a big influence on a lot of the bands that followed, including Caius, uh, which then led on to the likes of Queens of the Stone Age. When I met one of the founding members, Mario Lally, I just expected to be speaking to, about his musical history and uh, where he got to where he is. But as we were talking, what ended up coming out is, you know, more issues about how we were feeling, about how, you know, he's in his 50s now and he can only be doing what he's doing now and how, you know, he's got through some of the things of being present in the moment and how important it is and how that makes him feel better and not to worry and let things go a lot easier. So I thought that would be useful to those who also heard it as well. So I wanted to share that with you now. Here's Mario Lally from Yawning Man. And so it's just wonderful to have a few moments here with uh, Mario from Yawning Man and uh, here at the Rebellion club in Manchester. I guess there's so many things I want to talk to you about, about you know, your history and the history of music and uh, where you guys have come from, but uh, you've just been here on tour and uh, here in the UK. I just wanted to maybe just to catch up and uh, find out how you are and how things are going, basically. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Things are going great. We're, uh, this is the most uh, ambitious tour we've ever done, so over two months, covering all of Europe almost all of Europe and uh, the UK, <clears throat> UK of course. We're really excited about our new record. 
We, we had a, a wonderful experience recording it. We've had um, nothing but great feedback from people. I seem to be enjoying it. We're performing most of it live. Yeah, because all the people I know from, I was going to say the genre, but actually it covers so many different styles, because obviously just seeing it live now, there's a very psychedelic vibe to it. But of course, coming from the desert and then into the stoner rock scene and the sounds that you created, and then you know the delay in you actually creating music to be produced and it's almost like you're having this wonderful now round of creating it to be available for people to purchase physically and then it seems to have then fed this new wave of creativity and uh, this new energy you seem to have and seeing you play not live now is just wonderful and uh, yeah it's great to see and so you can thank you it's almost like this new chapter in your life that you're embracing and as you say this new round of touring it's almost like yeah it's like you're now embarking on this new journey of all this background that you've done already. Yeah, part of the excitement about it is, um, you know, speaking for me and Gary and our new drummer, uh, Greg Sines, um, we've, this is the first time in our lives that we've ever put everything else aside. Our, you know, our children are grown and uh, Gary's got some young kids at home to take care of, but jobs, commitments that in the past really kept us from uh, just putting our all into performing. Yeah, we're, we're always working as a band creatively, but um, it was very difficult for us to, to really do this on any kind of level that uh, felt like a real commitment, you know. And um, right now it just seems like, even though we're in our 50s, you know, it's like, it, it seems like it's uh, the time to do it for us. And we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're grateful for anybody that's uh, receptive to what we do, live especially. But really it's about us just getting out and playing as much as possible and seeing where it goes every night. Every night's been different musically, so it's it's been awesome. That's uh, very inspirational because I, I'm on a similar journey. I'm still in my 40s, but uh, I've been down avenues just to kind of make a living and uh, do what I felt like I needed to do. But now I'm in a chapter where I'm pursuing my passions and my forming a dream and going for it. And that's like now that you, we have the elements with us that help us do that and propel forward. And uh, just coming up with these guys, uh, Witch Hound, and they're, you know, seeing them and their passion and, yeah. and following their dreams as well. It's almost like, yeah, you, now there's like a momentum behind you and we have experience that we're able to, you know, put into it. Yeah, exactly. There is a momentum. It's, it's kind of scary really because I, uh, I've never, never done it, you know. I've always just put my, put my toes in the water, and and uh, now I'm just like just ripping off my clothes and going <laughs> off the cliff, you know. It, it, seriously, it's it's uh, it's really exciting. Yeah, so like very easy to uh, play safe and be, be in a comfort zone. You think, okay, this works. I can yeah. uh, make a monthly income from this, and then maybe try different things. But in, sometimes until you go for it. Yeah, it doesn't. And the income part isn't really working out. So it's been. <laughs> it's really. Me and Gary set up our lives in the last two years to live very, very meager. You know, yeah. very within our means. Yeah. And even trying, making an effort to do that to make our living expenses so minimal. We're still struggling, but we work a little side job here and a side job there and run around, puts, somehow it all works out. Yeah. And then we, it's all for this, just to be able to have the freedom in yeah. our life to jump in the van and, and go for it. And 
you know, I hope I hope we pay for this on our trip, and it's really not a concern at this point. We're just enjoying being creative, you know. So, but it certainly seems to be working on some levels because look at the people here that connected with you. They know of you, they know of your music, and they were happy to see you. And uh, it's yeah. just, if, if that continues, and there's, there's something that's exactly. going to come from that. Exactly, yeah, it's, and it's, I mean, it never ceases to amaze me how we can travel all over, I'm going to say all over the world, but all over parts of the world, and and people know our music, and have yeah. followed it for years, and I mean, it just blows me away, I, you know, I just never get used to it, I never get, it never becomes like a normal thing to me, it's always, it's always special, you know, so... And that's a great feeling because you just stay grateful and you stay happy for every experience. You know, even when I'm, sometimes when I'm playing, you know, we improvise a lot. And sometimes when I'm playing, you know, a big part of being a happy person is, is living in the moment, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what, what improvising does for me, musically, is it puts me there. It puts yeah. me, it, it makes me, it, it's like a meditation, like people that suffer with anxiety and insomnia and things like, you know, weird stuff like that. Meditation is, is a really great way, other than drugs, of course, <laughs> which I don't do. Meditation is a, is a thing that helps a lot of people. Well, this is my, I've tried meditation. Yeah. I try, it's a, I need a little more of like a pounded over my head, like, you know, <laughs> musically. But, you're, uh, you're covering a lot yeah. of what I try and cover on my show and other aspects of the uh, radio station. I do a podcast on mental health as well. And, uh, do you? Yeah, so, and also trying to connect with my, you know, one of my passions is my massage and healing work, and so I'm trying to find bridges into connecting things and talk to people that are doing things to, you know, help people, you know, get out of situations and you know, find these moments of being in the moment. And uh, with music is one of the best ways of doing that. And Absolutely. and when you're, you know, you have that craft, and then you're able to create in those moments. You have to. Uh, you know, be in the moment a little bit and and kind of create in, in, in those moments as well. And, exactly. and so, yeah, you, you really can dig deep. And one of the things I was going to ask you now as well is because part of being grateful is that, you know, because of where we got to in our lives, you know what is involved in getting there. And so, you know, the effort involved as well. But then I guess what at another tangent I was going to go off at is, is there anything now that you've learned that is going to change you, not change, but evolve your musical style? and things you're learning at the moment yeah i what's evolving my musical style is is the practice of, and not to be repetitive but practice of being present yeah. is making if not only did it it makes the music more patient it makes the uh the the process of creativity a more patient deliberate process it's work yeah. You know, it's it's always work. One of the, my biggest problems is is I think that creativity should always be inspiration. It should be like this lightning bolt that hits you, and then you, oh, you rip out your sketch pad, or you, or you take out your guitar, or go to the keyboard and play the piano, or you, you start writing in your journal or writing your poetry or what. It's like this thing. But yeah. what I've learned is that, and I, and I learned it through. And I don't want to, you know, throw people off here because I, I use these words like prayer, yeah. and I use words well, likewise, like meditation. Yeah. yeah. But it, it's it's not like what people might conjure in their mind when they hear the word prayer. They think of on their knees with their hands <laughs> together like this. But um, it, it is all part of a practice of um, being aware, uh, being present, and enjoying 
there's it's not about the end result yeah. it's not about that end result it's about the work it's about all the steps in between the end result is can be awesome and yeah. sometimes it cannot be so awesome but it's being present for all those steps in between and that's what's really changed for me in the last year because I was always thinking creatively at the end as uh, the end result the end result so it's kind of easy to cheat that yeah. whole experience yeah or hang on too much to it exactly and uh, and if it doesn't go as you imagine then suddenly you can be crushed or you know right. you have no regrets success. or things like that it's yes not, I'm not successful at yeah at create creating I'm not successful at exp expressing myself yeah that's it's just in in its very essence in it's not I don't believe it anymore. I'm working on not believing it anymore yeah. because I believe that it, that it's all like this journey, you know? Yeah. And I'm trying to live that through music because it's really the one thing that keeps me in that practice. Yeah. And I have that feeling of being uh, uh, I have that feeling of being present and alive and and to feel joyous, yeah. you know? I feel the I feel true joyous feelings with those moments you know and it has nothing to do with i love people coming to shows yeah. and, and enjoying our music and but it's really a very personal experience because you're feeling the steps it's, exactly it's, so like as you say it's not the end result it's you notice progress right. so you notice the little steps right. and you notice okay i've done this bit better than i did last week okay maybe something else could have gone better but at least okay i've feeling the step-by-step -step process exactly Exactly. I mean, you 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 really know what I'm trying to say. It's, it's yeah, very I've good because because I can't <laughs> articulate this shit very well. I mean, I'm struggling yeah. myself. I still have struggles. I still have regrets, but and I still keep myself a lot. Yeah. And just improving my self-talk and knowing the work I've done and knowing where I'm at now and being grateful and the people I meet and uh, yeah, things. Or things are good. I was going to. I was about to say things could be worse, but actually no. I'm going to say things are good, and things are definitely getting better. Yeah. So it's uh, great yeah. to uh, yeah, feel that. Yeah, I got to stop saying that too. I, <laughs> I always say it, I, I say it in a positive way, but that's one of my go-tos. You know, <laughs> you know, things could always be worse. You know? But then you go through the movie of the worst stuff. You know, you don't need that. But man, look look at us. We're like sat here in this cool club in Manchester. We we both had struggles getting here, um, but now we you came in. You, yeah. And you guys came on and rocked it. You, you you did your line check and just and went for it. And wow, the sound was amazing. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you. really wonderful to hear the music live as well. So uh, a real pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> real pleasure uh, to meet you, Mario. Thank yeah, you. A pleasure to talk to you. It was really nice. Thank
Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. Yes, I think you can hear why that was so useful to share. You know, just uh, wonderful examples of being present. Things can only happen when they do in your life. When you're ready for it, uh, no need for regrets. Another reminder of that for sure. That was Mario Lotti from Yawning Man. Wonderful to see him in Manchester, to meet him and speak to him. And I just heard there a song from their latest album, The Revolt Against Tired Noises, a song called Skyline Pressure. So now the final conversation I wanted to share on this episode of the Mental Health Matters podcast on Phoenix FM. Another return to the podcast, this time Tracy Richardson, who actually returned to speak to Bob Simpson on his 123 show here in Phoenix FM. I shall let him with his dulcet tones do the appropriate introduction. Now, mental health problems affect about 1 in 10 children and young people. They include depression, anxiety and conduct disorder, and they're often a direct response to what's happening in their lives. Amazingly, however, 70% of children and young people who experience a mental health problem have not had appropriate interventions at a sufficiently early age. That's why I was pleased to learn that a new initiative to tackle mental health problems in children is taking off locally. Now, the amazing Me campaign is designed to provide primary schools with a program packed full of accessible and engaging materials to build good mental health and well-being. And here to tell us all about it is Tracy Richardson. Hi, Tracy. Hello. Thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, This is one of my pet subjects, um, mental health in general. Um, And what a shame that we hear that uh, a lot of children are beginning to suffer with this now. Can you tell us about the Amazing Me campaign, where it come from and how it works? Okay, so um, I am a director of a company called Seahorse Education Partnerships and basically we look at developing better mental health and well-being in schools. We started out by working with the teachers and and helping to bring their stress levels down and we run coaching programmes to do that. One of the schools that we worked in um, asked us if there was some some way of, of, of using the, the type of approach that we use with, with teachers, which is based on positive psychology, with the children. So that's where Amazing Me comes from. I also work in one-to-one therapy, which um, kind of left me with this idea that actually we need to start building preventative measures in very young children that stop people needing to seek therapy as they're older because actually they've built the skills and resources from being very young. I think that is a brilliant idea. Mm. Now, um, I was telling you off air, but I don't care who knows it, I'm a long-term sufferer of anxiety and depression and uh, done a lot of work on it over the years Mm. and um, it does go right back to my childhood yes and I think that is the case in many people yes so so how does the actual program work okay so the program like I say is based on on positive psychology so positive psychology is the science of well-being and optimal human functioning Um, it's a relatively new branch of psychology about 20 years old or so Um, and the program itself is built from um, themes and activities within positive psychology that have the the research behind them that show that they work proper science behind proper science yeah yeah. and it's delivered in schools by the teacher or teaching assistant doesn't have to be a teacher 
and it's a plug and play approach so everything is on the program there's lesson plans there are mindfulness practice mp3s so just push a button okay there are lovely animations that were built by um, a company called CLS for us um, there in Chelmsford and they are beautiful they they give all the information beautifully so the teacher doesn't need to have to know anything about it beforehand it's all there for them right but it's driven by the teacher yeah 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 good so um, I mean this is going to be new to this area but uh, I I guess it has been trialed elsewhere what have have been the benefits seen to the children so we we developed the program within um, two schools in the area along with their teachers and along with um, a mental health specialist child mental health specialist as well the results have been phenomenal even after a very short period so the trials ran for about seven weeks but the program is a year long okay and things like the children were more focused they were being nicer to each other they were able to tell the difference in their own emotions and regulate them better Um, teachers were feeling more relaxed and calm and where the um, program was running maybe two or three classes what they were noticing is the whole school was calmer wow academic achievement also goes up because children can focus better they're feeling better in themselves so actually they take more in we learn better when we're happy that sounds fantastic Mm. now things that can help children uh, be mentally well include being in good physical health eating a balanced diet getting regular exercise and having the time and freedom to play indoors and outdoors how does the amazing me program help with this fantastic so um, all of those things are wonderful and absolutely you know health is a a whole body whole mind thing so we need to take all of those into consideration so amazing me brings in lots and lots of different activities for instance one of the activities involves going outside and playing with trees brilliant brilliant (laughs) love it and leaving the phone behind definitely um creativity we embrace creativity we embrace discussion the children use reflective journals every day which they can draw in or write in and it's not checked in terms of you know there's no marking it it doesn't matter about whether they get the grammar right it's about learning how to properly express themselves um, without that being regulated yeah yeah Um, so what about the schools what sort of reaction have you had from local schools and teachers well we've only launched our launch event was a couple of weeks ago um, on on June the 8th and that was the first time we'd shown the 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 platform publicly um, and it was really well received Um, our initial two schools um, one has already actually received funding brilliant to, to get amazing me for yeah. the next two years which is wonderful the other school um, that we initially trialed in also has um, has bought the program from September um, free trials are now happening as well so schools can just log in to our website and from there they can log into the um, to, to the program and trial it free for a month to see if it fits with them and their school and their approach fantastic i mean you mentioned funding just there yeah. for one of the schools we know that schools are struggling with funding these days so what is the, the cost per school and how do they pay for it basically so the cost per school is 500 pounds plus vat for the whole school for the year right and that includes 20 separate users so this this classes can go at their own rate as as works for them they're not tied into using it at a set time on a set day or anything they do that individually um in terms of funding there is at the moment a physical and mental health fund from the government that schools can apply for because that's one way of doing it 
Another way of doing it is crowdfunding via their parents. Right. Another way of doing it is by accessing corporate social responsibility funds. Now, most businesses have these. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they like to use them within their own communities, which for us very much sits with our values. This is about building communities um, with schools and businesses. Because at the end of the day, those children are going to grow up to be employees of, of the businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. mental health and well-being is imperative to good production yeah. and to a happy workforce. Well, you've anticipated my next question then, <laughs> because uh, I was going to say, what is the incentive for businesses to, to cough up, basically, and sponsor yeah. schools? Yeah. Well, that's, that's one reason. But also, there are also, um, you know... Uh, like I say, they have these funds that they need to use. Right, so okay. actually, you know, they have a responsibility to, through the government, say they have a responsibility oh. to their local community. But also there's, there's that warm, fuzzy feeling yeah, that comes yeah. with doing something nice, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. <laughs> and, I, you know, I can't think of a better cause than this locally. Definitely. It's uh, really good. Now, the other thing I imagine that schools and particularly teachers are struggling with at the moment is time. Yes. Now, how does Amazing Me fit into the existing cu- curriculum? How do they shoehorn it in? You okay. Know? So, um, the, the curriculum fits uh, the PSHE curriculum fits is the best place for um, Amazing Me right. time wise what we've done is we've written everything okay. we've designed everything everything is done all the lesson plans right. have a full rationale yeah. they have a full activity process they have wider uses so that they can take that theme from that week and use it in other lessons yeah, yeah. so actually it's very time saving okay it can also be run by people who aren't teachers right so okay. it can it can be done when the teachers are doing their preparation time yeah well I, i've got a friend who's a teacher and we never see her during term time because she's so busy so i would think that would be welcome you know yeah yeah well it sounds brilliant how can parents schools and local businesses get involved okay so um if there's local businesses that that would like to get involved parents that would like to get involved schools that you'd like to get involved then you can contact me on tracy that's tracy without an e at seahorst.com um i'll give that to you and perhaps you can put it on your yes website. we will we'll put it all That'd up on the website brilliant yeah. they can always um also look us up on facebook for on the amazing us campaign which is the campaign we launched last week to bring businesses and schools together in their local communities to fund our part fund amazing me okay brilliant. um so yeah that's another way of doing it well fantastic we'll put all those details up on the website later on Thank you very much for telling us all about it, Tracy, and uh, good luck with it all. Thank you. That's Tracy Richardson from the Amazing Me campaign. The wonderful Bob Simpson speaking to Tracy Richardson on his 123 show when she returned to Phoenix FM to talk about her wonderful work, Amazing Me. Again, the links to her work will be on the episode page of Mental Health Matters on the Phoenix FM website, along with other contact information of useful places where you can get help, such as Brentwood Mind, uh, the Samaritans, who are on 116-123, Young Minds, and Rethink Mental Illness. All the links are available on there, along with links to ways you can get in touch with the podcast. Any feedback, any questions you have, perhaps you have answers to some of the questions I've raised at the start of the show. The best way to get in touch is via Twitter, at MHM Podcast. Or on Facebook, you can search for the group, Mental Health Matters on Phoenix FM. That's about it for this episode. Uh, Looking forward to sharing the next episode a bit sooner than last time. Hopefully you've enjoyed the conversations and they uh, touched you in some way. Again, let us know what you think. 
I'm going to leave you now with another wonderful example of the beautiful post-rock music I've been discovering recently and sharing on my musical meandering show every Thursday night here on Phoenix FM. From Italy, this is Il Giardino degli Specci, a song called Leonardo from the Ultranari album, which came out this year. Lots of love, have a wonderful time, and take care of yourself. <laughs>